Good help defense, too. For three, Franklin knocks it down. Franklin for three on the left wing. Timeout, Penguins. are standing overjoyed about their team getting it done here and just looking down the court everybody's tired they know the game's out of reach finish at the rim four here's bailey down the lane lose the handle matoyer for three and he knocks it down sierra canyon wins Toyer coming through for the Trailblazers. They win the ball game 67 to 64. Fans are stunned in Chicago. What a shot. Open look. We told you Bailey going down the lane, but I would assume he's going to go to Bronny James. He goes left corner. Bang! Basketball is hood. It's time for the Under the Hood Basketball Podcast with Jonathan Hood. You love basketball, you've come to the right place. What's up, everybody, and welcome into the Under the Hood Basketball Podcast brought to you by DraftKings. I am Jay Hood, boy, a really, really wonderful basketball weekend for your guy, for me. Working with David Kaplan and being able to be at the Wintrust Arena for the Chipotle Clash of Champions. It was great to see Glenvard West against Sierra Canyon. Sierra Canyon coming out of Los Angeles. The team that LeBron James' son is on, Bronny James. They were able to defeat Glenvard West. Here's a story. So Sierra Canyon from L.A. have a number of D1 players on the roster, including Bronny James. And they take on Glenvard West, and Glenvard West is the best team uh, in Chicago, undefeated coming in, and their undefeated streak was on the line. And Sierra Canyon with Matoyer coming through with a three pointer, and it's 67 64. You heard that call on ESPN. And before that, Glenbrook South took over Curie, a public league school, 72 48. And the first game I did was the University of Illinois Chicago, working with Chris Black doing uh, UIC against Youngstown State, in which uh, the Flames unfortunately fell short against the Penguins in Horizon League action. So I had three games on Saturday. That was a really, really busy Saturday for me. But it's good to be able to be in the arena. Two different venues, three games, um, really, really cool. And we're going to talk to Michael O'Brien from the Chicago Sun-Times, who covers high school hoops. As you well know, this is the Under the Hood Basketball Podcast brought to you by DraftKings. And we can talk anything basketball. It could be the WNBA. It could be the NBA. It could be college. In this case, a little high school basketball as well, because this was a huge, huge night for the city of Chicago. We know that there's good high school basketball in New York and also in Oakland and Los Angeles and Texas and Florida. But people forget Chicago, known as the mecca for basketball, especially on the high school level. That's how I grew up loving the game, watching high school basketball. Some of the all-time greatest played in Chicago. 
on the high school level on their way to college and into the pros. And so we'll talk to Michael O'Brien about the weekend and also some NBA as well. The Bulls fell short against the Philadelphia 76ers. And if you go into the archives of our podcast, the you Underhood know, Basketball Podcast, which you can hear that on Spotify and, of course, on the ESPN Chicago app as well, saying what's up to the Cap and J-Hood listeners. What's up? Uh, and also on the Under the Hood Basketball Podcast, you can find that also on the ESPN Chicago app. It's got its own tab, by the way. Uh, pretty shortly here will be exclusive to the ESPN Chicago app as far as where you can find it because it's got its own tab there, Under the Hood Basketball Podcast. Um, so we'll have that there, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. I just appreciate you listening. But for ESPN Chicago listeners, it's right there for you. Um, the, ES, the ESPN Chicago app, the Under the Hood Basketball Podcast. But my point is, is that uh, with the Bulls, if you go back to the archives in my conversation with Andre Snellings from ESPN.com, we were talking about how the Bulls have enough offense, but maybe not enough defense. And I'm not sure if the Bulls can find that by the time we get to the trade deadline. Is there a player that can help them out defensively where they can be better at that? You know, Andre poured through the numbers. I was talking about it with him as well in the last podcast that we did. And it makes sense to me. If you are of the opinion that Kobe White should stay with Chicago Bulls or Ayo DeSumo or Patrick Williams should stay with the Bulls, I'm not going to fight you on that. I still believe that those players are tradable if you care to trade them. And you can trade whoever you want on this ball club. But if you're a Bulls fan, you just want to see the team get better. And I believe that the Bulls, at the very least, at the minimum, are a team that could be able to win a playoff series. Now, what happens beyond that? That's the whole thing, right, with this Bulls team. And so, well, you know, it was interesting conversation with Andre. You can go back in the archives and hear our last podcast about that. But I watched the game against the 76ers this past Sunday, the 6th of February. And I just saw a dominant player in Joel Embiid. And on the other end, I saw a dominant player in uh, DeMar DeRozan. We have never seen this season two players score 40 points on opposing teams. And we saw that on Sunday at the United Center. Joel Embiid should be at least in the top three for consideration for the MVP. When you watch Joel Embiid, it looks different than most big men you'd see. It's a little robotic. It's a little different than what you see from Giannis or other big men that, are, that, that have been fluid going down the lane, being able to score at will. He shoots the ball from three. A little bit of a lower clip than it did last year, but the point is it's like in, still in the 30s, right? High 30s shooting from three. Watching him go to the basket, watching him being able to make others better. He's just a terrific all-around player. The thing that people worry about with Embiid is his health, whether or not his back could be able to hold up. And so even without Ben Simmons on the floor, he's been able to flourish. And he did that against the Bulls. Um, when, when Bulls fans come at me and talk about the Bulls defense is fine, don't be a hater, all that stuff, I just watch the games. You know, I just watch the games, evaluate what the head coach has to say in Bill Do- Billy Donovan. I read, I look at some stats, but ultimately it's just the eye test. And I know that the Bulls are a good enough team to be able to beat a lot of teams in the East. But when it comes down to it, do the Bulls have a defensive equal on Giannis Antetokounmpo? Many don't. Same thing with Durant when he's healthy. Same thing with Embiid. Those are issues for this Bulls team. Bulls can score the ball. I'm not concerned about that. 
Uh, if you're a Bulls fan, you should be concerned about how they're going to stop some of these teams. Um, and this is not just from what you saw in the regular season so far against the, the Knicks or the Nets or against the Warriors, the Suns coming up. It's really about making stops. And so when they're fully healthy, they're going to be a juggernaut. But now what do you do when you have shorter rotations, smaller rotations in the playoffs? What are the Bulls going to do about that? So there's an interesting conversation with Andre about that. And I know we'll talk more as we get closer to the All-Star break and the deadline. But I like the Bulls as is. I don't know about you. Give me your thoughts at TweetJHood or Instagram IGJHood. I like what I see from them as is. Okay, so let me call Michael O'Brien. First time on the show from the Chicago Sun-Times. He was there at the Wintrust Arena in Chicago, the home of the WNBA champion Chicago Sky and the DePaul Blue Demons. Got a chance to talk to um, the coach for DePaul uh, and the athletic director uh, before the game. It was interesting to to talk to Tony Stubblefield and got his thoughts about the team. He was in good spirits. He was there at the game. And so it was good to talk to him briefly. And uh, what a great time. Michael O'Brien from the Sun-Times will get his thoughts about high school basketball in the Chicagoland area right here on the Under the Hood Basketball Podcast brought to you by DraftKings. As promised, Michael O'Brien covers uh, high school hoops for the Chicago Sun-Times. He joins me, Jonathan Hood, on the Under the Hood Basketball Podcast here on ESPN Chicago. Michael, Jonathan Hood, thanks so much for your time. Yeah, great to be here. Uh, I know you guys, you and Cap did the uh, Chipotle classic thing last year. A little bit more fun with fans, huh? Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah about the atmosphere and everything else. It was yeah. so much better this year, that's for sure. Hey, before we go into uh, talking about this weekend, tell everybody about the, the No Shot Clock podcast, because I know that with the Top 25 uh, coming out, and I know on Friday we'll be able to see what the uh, IHSA will have as far as playoff pairings. I know that's going to be the podcast to listen to. Yeah, we've uh, Joe Hendrickson, who does the City Suburban Hoops Report. He's kind of a, he writes a lot in the Sun Times. He's a, a stringer for us, and he does recruiting with all the college coaches and stuff. That's his focus. Um, you know, Joe and I have been doing it. I think it's seven years now. Mm-hmm. Um, no shocks, like a long time. It, it's kind of an old school podcast. It's just me and Joe blathering at one another for about an hour. <laughs> we yeah. don't really have uh, guests ever. Um, it's kind of just a long form conversation. We don't edit it or have a producer. Um, we just, there was no, you know, everybody does short hits on high school hoops. You know, if it's TV, if it's radio, if it's a podcast. So we wanted a, a place to do a, just a longer conversation for people who love high school basketball and the diehards. And that's what No Shot Clock is. Uh, comes out every Tuesday. Okay, well, that's great. I, I want to talk to you about this weekend, but what a weekend. The Chipotle Clash of Champions and also the UIC Donda event. I mean, what, what does that do for the city? Look, you're always covering events, but I think that when you get it in two college gyms like we saw on Saturday, Michael, that's pretty special for the city. No doubt about it. And, you know, I think in a lot of ways, it's, it's a perception issue. If you actually look at the schedule, there's about 200 games in the area every Friday. And there's thousands of people at a lot of those games. Mm-hmm. So you've got probably 200,000 you know, people watching high school basketball on a normal Friday night in the Chicago area. But they're all spread out you know, in, in their area. So when we get a moment where you can get nine, ten thousand 10,000 people at one arena and kind of show the full power of the sport, it's a really special moment. Because a lot of people you know, like to marginalize the high school sports and uh, – 
we need a big moment every once in a while to remind people that we're out there and the state tournaments have been you know we haven't had that for two years because of covid so Mm -hmm. that was just a a fabulous event and you know the way it worked out with a bunch of promoters and contracts and stuff there wound up being two events but in a way that helped show kind of how big the, the audience is because i think it was a largely suburban crowd at um wind trust there for you know glenbard west and glenbrook south and i think a lot of the the city fans you know the kenwood and hillcrest and uh simeon fans and just general basketball fans went out to see donda over at uic so i think that's kind of probably how it split but it shows we got enough to go around that's for sure okay um as we go into the games i'll ask you what was the original thought on on donda in the kanye event because to, to your writing, there was some confusion on who was going to play in which event. Like, Simeon was kind of stuck in the middle, I felt. So, there was, was there an issue of exactly who was going to play at UIC a couple weeks ago? Yeah. I mean, the Syracuse and Simeon game had been scheduled since November. That was down. That was happening. And then all of a sudden, it fell apart literally weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And I've heard multiple stories <laughs> from the people involved about how and why exactly. In the end, what what the only I'm kind of sure of, I think kind of, was that Simeon and Kenwood had contracts with the person that was putting on the event at UIC. And Sierra Canyon apparently didn't sign their contract. Ooh. And so they were able to move over. You know, I'm not sure how Paragon got involved, relate to the party, and they wound up setting it up at Glenbard West. And so Simeon and Kenwood were over. And then all of a sudden, Donda shows up. Out of nowhere, <laughs> right? They kind of emerged just a few weeks ago, and then there were the issues because you can't. I just say schools can't play in the same event with a school like Donda. That's not really a school, and so it was a lot of drama for a while. And this is the way it shook out. Um, which you know, talking with Amari Bailey, he wanted to play Simeon. Um, so it's kind of unfortunate that the kid who kind of made wanted to come here and made this happen didn't end up getting what he wanted. What do you think that matchup would have been? What do you think would happen, right? Like, Sierra Canyon against Simeon. I'm not asking you for a point spread. I'm just wondering what do you think that matchup would have looked like if we saw that? Yeah, I think, to me, and you know, a lot of people get, I think Simeon's just as good as Glenbard West. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'd probably take them head-to-head. Simeon, it, they have three guards that are D1 quality. Um, one just amazing defender, a real point guard, and a scorer. And in high school basketball, I always take team with the guards and they've also got two six eight guys you know down low so to me Simeon I just think head-to-head they would beat Glenbard West this is an unpopular opinion mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, you see what what guards do you know you see what the D you know, the high level division one college one guards did with Glenbard West you know Glenbard West is a great team they're a great story but they just don't have that high major guard you know, that makes a difference in high school basketball. So I think Simeon Sierra Canyon would have been an absolutely fabulous game. Uh, I don't think it would have been the home court advantage, though, for Simeon that Glenbard West had. And I think a lot of people, you know, I talked to a lot of people who, you know, knew Amari Bailey and grew up with him and were very excited about his success and to see him and were there rooting for him. So I think it would have been kind of more a Chicago basketball celebration in that game and less of a partisan Glenbard West home game. <laughs> yeah, boy, I mean, the electricity was, was palpable. It was so much, it was so great at Wintrust, and Sierra Canyon ends up winning the ball game, a last second three, 67 to 64. Um, just on Sierra Canyon's side of the ledger, so to watch Bronny James, that was my sec- third time watching him, obviously first time live doing the game. Michael, I just like his patience. You could just tell. I mean, a lot of his dad's traits in that, 
you know, he's not necessarily trying to force shots all the time. It seems like his vision's very good and know when to pass the basketball. So at 6'3", I'm seeing a, a, a young player developing well. Yeah, you know, I thought he, I watched uh, three Sierra Canyon games to kind of get ready <laughs> for Saturday. Mm-hmm. So I'd seen him, uh, you know, quite a bit this year. I only watched him once last year. It was just kind of curiosity. <laughs> and I thought he'd improved a lot, a very lot this season. I think he's definitely grown into kind of realizing, kind of as you said, what his game is. You know, and he's clearly a smart player. And yeah, I agree. I was really impressed. That's the best I've ever seen him shoot, um, which was pretty bad luck <laughs> for Glenbard West. Um, and it was interesting, the L.A. viewpoint of the game was that that was Sierra Canyon's biggest win of the season. Well, which, I, I would say, well, I mean, listen, they're running roughshod over those teams in the California division where they play in Los Angeles. And then all the places that they played on the road, the three losses they had were, you know, they, they were special exhibition attractions, right? I mean, so. Yeah, no, exactly. They've played, like, I watched them play Camden, New Jersey, which has Dewan Wagner's son. And actually, Rick Brunson is the coach mm-hmm. <laughs> there, which is pretty interesting. And, and they they beat them pretty good. They were at the whole game. They got them. Um, they were up by like fifteen early. So uh, Sierra Canyon wasn't exactly coming in here on a huge high. They just lost in, in Camden, New Jersey. So I know it was exciting to see Glenbird West play like that. And I don't want to be the downer of everybody, but this wasn't Oak Hill when Derrick Rose beat them. Right. This is a good team. You know, no doubt with some very famous names and a Chicago person, but they've been beaten by several, you know, good teams. It wasn't some unbeatable force out there. I, uh, watching Amari Bailey, I was uh, impressed by his moxie, just his ability to just whatever he wanted to do, he could pretty much do it against Glenbard West's uh, defense. But I, I like what he can do. I'm looking forward to seeing I mean, however long he's going to be with the Bruins of UCLA. I just think he could be a really fun player, an electric player for them. Man, he was fun. Yeah. <laughs> I, man, I totally agree. It, we don't have many of those guys. No. <laughs> we, we haven't had one in a long time. So yeah. watching him, oh, man, every time he got the ball, yeah, it was so exciting. And I was really impressed just in the brief. You know, I talked to them on the phone during the week and after the game and He's he's got it. That thing, you know, his head is screwed on right. He knows what to say. That's kind of interesting, but he doesn't ever cross the line. He's respectful. He's smart, you know. And he's got he's the total package. I'm really excited to see um, his future because, you know, you hear things and this and that. And to be honest, when I saw him in eighth grade, I thought he was just you know good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was going to be super great. But yeah, he he's really developed into an amazing player, and it's a real shame we didn't get to watch that over the last four years. Michael, you've seen a lot more of this than I have, I'm sure. But I was, I will tell you, I was taken aback by the camera crew following Sierra Canyon, and like clearly, there's a documentary that's being filmed for this season where they've gone from place to place, and you know, to read about Amari uh, Amari's mom once dating Drake once upon a time. I said, boy, this is quite the LA like story, is it not? Yeah, no doubt about it. He has um, totally leaned into the L.A. thing, and they seem comfortable with it. You know, he's a kid that, you know, some of our high-level kids, I can tell that when they hit college in the big time, it's going to be a a shock. (laughs) You Mm -hmm. know, they're not quite ready. They've been a little too sheltered, this and that. And I think in a lot of ways that's important in Chicago um, to kind of have a cocoon around a kid. You know, we saw that with Derrick Rose and how effective that was. But it's the opposite. It seems with Amari Bailey out in L.A., they've embraced it all and taken it all on, and he's really ready for the spotlight. It's pretty amazing to meet a young person that's 
just that mature and ready for all that. Yeah, I'm just trying to think what that looks like with uh, with Wolf Nelson or like like uh, Sonny Cox or Bob Hambrick with a camera crew following the team the entire time. What does that look like in, yeah. in basketball's know, past? Most of the new guys are uh, like I know Orr has had uh, people following them around. They had that uh, documentary a couple of years ago. Um, but yeah, it, it's definitely a, a different thing. It, isn't it amazing how many video people there are? In all these yes. It's yes, <laughs> it's crazy, man. Like I, I was just taking it all in. I said, "Wow, that's something new. I hadn't seen that." Um, but as far as Glenn Bard West, uh, again, just a terrific game, Michael. It just they fell short, uh, giving up that last second three. But I thought they they battled as well as they could. They try to utilize the three ball. Um, I thought they they played well. The one loss, I know. You know, obviously they fell short in the game, but I think that they can keep their head up high. You know, you had that loss, and now they can kind of retool, get ready for the next uh, for the next level. No doubt about. It. And you got to remember, this they never played on a college court before, a high school basketball game, mm-hmm. and that, that's seven hundred times I've probably had a high school coach in the last twenty years tell me, "Oh, that was our first game on a college court, and it took us." You know, that first three or four minutes when you're just getting used to it. You know, sometimes you can get buried, you know, and that can be the difference. And I thought they, you know, they got through that initial point well. And then in the third quarter, they were tired. And it looked, I really, I think I tweeted, you know, I, it, it could get ugly. I thought Sierra Canyon was going to pull away. And Glenbard West didn't let it happen. You know, they showed a lot of backbone and grit. That was really impressive. And, and that's the kind of thing they need because these kids didn't get state tournament runs the last two years, which is really how kids kind of form a team, you know, and, and get tough. And we just were robbed of that. So they, they haven't had those moments. So they had a, a big moment there that's going to give them a leg up, I think, on the rest of the Class 4A field that hasn't had those moments. Uh, Glenbrook South over Curie, 72-48. That was the first game at Wintrust. And Curie was just um, just dominated. It was just anything that Martinelli wanted he can get in that game. Yeah, Glenbrook South's offense is among the best half-court offenses I've seen covering high school basketball i watched them go to new trier early in the year and just put them it made that curie game look close mm-hmm. <laughs> it was such a butt wow i mean and new trier is a bunch of very smart kids that knew you know they knew exactly what offense lumber south wanted to run and couldn't stop them and curie frankly didn't seem fully prepared i mean that that's his open as i've seen cooper nord and nick martinelli you know all season you know that 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 was unfortunate that they didn't have more defensive pressure on those kids because glenbrook south is going to be tough to stop if you do that if you're not going to do that they're going to run a rough shot over you and that, that's what we saw is nord and martinelli the where do you place them amongst the best one-two punches you've seen this season i don't think there's any question uh, they're the two best it's martinelli is just an uh, it was funny, Reggie Rose came out, he was at the game, and he came over, and he, he didn't know anything about Glumbrook South. He, he told us Curie a lot. He's like, what do you know? And I'm like, Reggie, Nick Martinelli it might be one of the best just pure high school basketball players I've ever seen. He finishes at the hoop in all these weird ways. You cannot stop him. He, he's a very unique, odd player. I don't know how that's going to transfer over at Elon or at any college level, but on the high school court, I mean – Good luck. <laughs> it's yeah. just a complete load. And Nord, the range is just unlimited. And when you've got that inside-out thing in high school and it's such a smart overall half-court offense, yeah, I, I think they're the best one-two punch for sure. Uh, so as far as the Don, I, I will refer to this as the Donda events because it was Kanye West, it was Antonio Brown, uh, Lonzo Ball there. So how much of this was star power that the, the kids knew that were going there, and how much was it was a basketball as far as being at that event at UIC? 
I've had multiple people tell me that people, they know people that went because they thought it was a concert. Yes. <laughs> yes. Down to home. I haven't thought about that. As as it, you know, it does, if you're at the Ticketmaster site, are you walking down the street and you see Donda Home coming up there? You think it's probably, you know, a concert. And so I think that did fool some people. <laughs> that might have been part of it. But I mean, anytime Kanye West throws an event in Chicago, people are going to come. I don't think it matters what it is, frankly. Um, it's going to be a thing. So I think that was a large part of it. And, and especially since nobody knows what Chicago prep is. You know, the team they were playing is almost completely unknown. It's, a, I guess, a brand new post-grad and high school, they told me. Um, mm. They have a kid from Lincoln Park who was pretty good last year. But, yeah, so that was – it was not much of a basketball matchup going in, so I think it was more of a kind of Saturday night event. And it looked like that had a much better crowd than the first event there, which was the high school teams that looked pretty empty, unfortunately. Well, Michael, you have your ear to the, to the streets because that's all I heard. Right, because because I did the first game. God, it was such a long day. I did a UIC Youngstown yeah. State, right? And so yeah. people were coming to me and saying, "Hey, should I stick around for the concert afterwards?" And I said, <laughs> oh, "And I said, well, if I if I were you, I would stick around for the basketball." And who knows? <laughs> and, and here's the thing, Mike. We don't know what Kanye is going to do from minute to minute. Who knows if he was going to grab a mic and start doing a set? I mean, I, yeah. we had no. So that, but that was the that was the word in the street. Like, yeah, I'm coming to the game because because uh, Kanye is going to have a concert after the Donda game. And oh, and, and I yeah. said, oh and, my yeah, god! That's we do see after high school basketball games every once in a while. I remember the city <laughs> championship a couple of years ago. <laughs> there was a concert immediately, which is not ideal for interviews and writing. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that that's why I think that because that was the the rumor that like yeah, Kanye's here and he's gonna do. You know, play some stuff off of his new album. I'm like, okay, I don't know. I said I would just go just to stick around. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, maybe he was. Maybe he would have if he wanted. Yeah, you never know. So you're you're reporting to us right now that after the Donda uh, Chicago game that was played, everyone went home. There was no one on the mic. Nothing happened after that, right? It, you know, as far as I know, I asked, but you know, my it didn't end up showing on NBC Sports Chicago. I I recorded it, and it, there was just nothing there. And apparently, it wasn't just my recording failed. Nobody has a recording of it. So <laughs> unless somebody wants to tell us uh, <laughs> what went on, I had some kids send me the stats in the game, and that's pretty much the only thing I know about it. I saw some of it. I, there was a replay. It was an overnight replay. Um, oh, okay. so I watched it the Sunday morning. I was, I saw Kenwood and I saw some of the others, but you're right. The, the crowd build was, was building, uh, as the events were happening because it was pretty much empty in the first game and then it started to build because of the, uh, you know, the secret concert, uh, at Credit Union One that was supposed to occur apparently. Uh, yeah, I did so. see the high school game. I was watching while I was waiting for the, uh, the Wintrust event to start. So I was watching Kenwood destroy Hillcrest early, which... <laughs> made me wonder because that was this Hillcrest group's first game on a college court too and they were clearly not uh, adjusting well no so oh so let's uh, let's get into that for a second because that was in uh, my notes we couldn't get to it um but we want to talk about that uh, uh cap and I regarding the adjustment for some high school teams playing in college gyms uh, and of course you know this is the biggest crowd that at least I know Glenbard West has played uh, together and you know sold out at Wintrust. But when you hear coaches talk about that, is how prevalent is that? It's like, hey, we're not used to these rims or the three point stripe or anything else. So how much of an adjustment is that for high school teams? 
It's a huge adjustment. I mean, coaches are always telling me. And the, the question is, everybody agrees it's going to take a while to get used to the shooting because that's much different, you know, at, at, compared to a high school gym. But the other factor is the size of the court. And, you know, the late Arthur Goodwin at Bogan was always talking about when he could get Morgan Park on a college court, you know, in the super sectional, he could spread them out their length. Mm-hmm. And all his little guys would have so much more space, you know, to get free. And so that was my big concern with Glenbard West. So much of their success is built on the size and length in their 1-3-1 defense. They're not fast. They don't have any speed. They are a big, long high school team. So a college court, theoretically, was not going to help them out (laughs) in Mm -hmm. any way, you know, against a much faster team. Um, So I think they overcome what a lot of us thought might have been their biggest weakness um, and showed that it was, you know, they didn't, they were not forcing any turnovers, you know, really with that 1-3-1 defense. But they managed to without, with the biggest part of their game taken away, they still came down to the last shot against Sierra Canyon, which is really impressive. I know you weren't having it on Twitter, but you could talk to me about it regarding mask or no mask in those games at Wintrust. Now, uh, I've seen a number of public league games, obviously, with kids having the mask on. They're having it just in case when they go back into the huddle, I'm sure, and then bring it up. And then when they play, they don't have it. The same game, we did not see masks. So what was the fallout there in that regard? Because I know, I guess people are tweeting at you regarding that. Yeah, I, I don't know why they weren't wearing masks, and I don't... Okay, the thing is, everyone at every game I've been to this year in the Chicago area has at least had the mask somewhere on their face, on their head. You know, nobody's really wearing it, but it's the Illinois Department of Health's rule. You have to have it, and they all have. So have the officials. This is the first thing in the area I've been to where they didn't wear it, and the officials didn't wear it either, which was interesting. And... You know, there are, the IHSA has not given any rules or any, you know, what any punishments would be if you didn't do it. Technically, the IHSA didn't make this rule. They're just following what the Illinois Department of Public Health said they had to do. So, I mean, if the IHSA is not going to do anything, then nothing's going to happen. You know, and I haven't heard any anything coming out. So I don't know how this is going to impact other games. If other people are going to stop, you know, there's just been no kind of movement on that. I mean, frankly, I... I'm pretty sure the IHSA would prefer they, this rule didn't exist. Right. So I don't know how much they're going to be enforcing it. I mean, but who knows if the Illinois Department of Health is going to get upset that people aren't doing it. I mean, it was also an Illinois uh, Chicago rule that we had to show our vaccines to get in there. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not an Illinois rule or an IHSA rule. That's just a Chicago rule <laughs> mm-hmm. that uh, or ordinance that we all followed that. So I, I don't know. And it's just been so exhausting for the last few Gosh, it's been years now, (laughs) two years dealing with this. And I just couldn't believe that, you know, after that game, the game has been over for like an hour or two. And I still have people in my mentions arguing about masks. It's like, you know, we just watched one of the best games we're going to see all year. And you people are still going back and forth with each other. They're not even talking about the game anymore or the kids wearing masks. They're deep into their own politics. Oh, (laughs) jeez. No one cares. No. No, no, nobody. No one cares about your politics. It doesn't. It yeah. does, and it, and and and, it, and once again, as I say on the shows all the time, uh, it's it's science. It's not politics. There's, there's, so it's, there's no red and no blue in that scenario. Uh, it's just it's just the the science. And so I um so so I'm clear. The the rule is is it for high school and and college or just high school regarding the mass that was uh, mandated. 
just as youth sports. Youth sports. Okay. Is the is the way the Illinois Department of Health. Um, so it's high school, junior high, all that kind of stuff. Because honestly, it compels me to tell you that three of the officials that worked those games at Wintrust worked UIC games this week, last yeah. week. And two of them, two of them were in the, on the UIC Youngstown State game. And I don't think yeah, that. And I, don't have to. Yeah, well, well, well the, those officials were at the game at Wintrust. I don't think they knew about the mass rule. Well, one of them does. I knew one of them does high school, a ton of high school stuff. Mm hmm. So he definitely knows. <laughs> yeah. The other two, I, I didn't recognize. Um, yes. It doesn't mean they don't. Yes. Yeah, so. uh, any any issues or any head scratching for you as far as you putting your top twenty five together? Anything you had had any consternation about? Yeah, we've got this Yorkville Christian team, which is a brand new school that popped up a couple of years ago in Yorkville, and they've got Jaden Shoot, the Duke recruit who a lot of people think is the number one prospect in the state. They've got some other kids who can really shoot. They're, I think, 15 and 14 now or something. They've played all the great teams in the area. They've lost to a ton of teams, obviously. But last week, they beat Kenwood, you know, who was our number two or three team in the area, loaded with talent. And they didn't just beat them. They beat them in Chicago at or on the west side. A mm-hmm. um, bunch of suburban kids came in, allegedly with personal security. <laughs> oh, for heaven's <laughs> sakes. Too afraid of war. <laughs> and, and they beat Kenwood. And so, you know, the way I do rankings is if a high school team shows you how good they can be, you got to keep that in mind. All high school teams are going to drop some turds throughout the year. Yeah. <laughs> That's just the way it goes. Yeah. So I go, and, and so Yorkville Christian has shown us they can play and beat the best teams we have. So they're a constant issue for me, what to do with them. It basically comes down to when they're hitting threes, they're almost unbeatable and shoots an amazing shooter. He set the state record for three pointers made a game two years ago. And they've got some other guys who, when they get hot are just unstoppable. So they're one of those teams that, man, if you catch them on the right night, you're in trouble. Uh, as far as the IHSA uh, playoff pairings on Friday, do you expect any surprises there? Oh, there's usually always some. Mm-hmm. High school basketball coaches don't exactly pay a hell of a lot of attention to other teams. That's <laughs> <So> correct. <laughs> they will sort of look at, they'll know who they played, but not much else. And um, Joe Hendrickson will have on the Sun-Times website, he'll give a guide for everybody where he says where everybody should be ranked <laughs> this yeah. week. And I know a lot of them use that, thankfully. But no, there'll always be some. And then there's always some petty jealousies and, you know, Coaches just won't like each other, so they'll see the, the guy last. Oh, my God. <laughs> and that, you know, one vote will impact things. We know from watching the college polls, if you let coaches vote, things get out of hand. Well, uh, Cap and I, lastly, Cap and I were talking about the, the no shot clock in high school basketball, something that we talked about often when we talk about high school basketball on the show and w- amongst each other. And, and I'm thinking, you know, Michael, if, if you're shooting it the way Sierra Canyon does, the way Glenbrook South does, the way most prolific teams shoot the ball, the shot clock does not matter. Because because if you're shooting it at a college rate where it's within 30 seconds, then there, there shouldn't be a shot clock, especially if you're trying to – you're not doing it for, for, for possessions as much as it is you're doing it because it's within the flow of an offense. So we, we brought that up in the broadcast too, whether or not it should be or should not be. Yeah, about two years ago, you know, when we were kind of, everybody was talking about it, you know, I go to a game pretty much every night, and I just started with my phone, stop watching possessions, and it just never happens. If it's going to be a 35-second shot clock, it's just rarely ever going to impact the game. I could go weeks 
without it going off at a game. Basically, high school teams cannot possess the ball for 35 seconds mm-hmm. without turning it over or shooting it. So it, it's a big, it, I don't think it would have any impact around here, really. And the Big Dipper holiday tournament in, in Rich, at Rich South, they've had it for years. And you can spend all day there. 10 games will go on and it'll go off once and it'll shock everybody. <laughs> they're like, what, what, what's that? And they're like, oh, they have a shot clock here. So yeah, the, the one thing it would improve is late game situations. Mm-hmm. That That is when it does impact the high school game. You will see, and you'll see this regularly, a, a team will try with 50 seconds left on the clock to get that last possession. That You know, the last shot of the possession at the end of the game. I think our end game would be improved with the shot clock, I think that would help. But other than that, around here wouldn't make much difference. Um, people in central Illinois and downstate tell me that they think it would have a, a much bigger impact down there, that there are a lot of teams that really try to slow things down, and that could be true. Minute 10 left in the fourth quarter, and they're going to hold, hold it for one here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we do see that. And it never seems to go well. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't see – and everybody talks about – you see on Twitter – when you see like a low high school score, people are always like, oh, we need a shot clock. Guess what, buddy? Anybody hurrying a shot in high school isn't going to make the score go up. No. <laughs> in no. any way. No. At all. I mean, you saw, you know, Bruce Weber's Illinois teams versus Wisconsin back then. Oh, they had man. a shot clock, and they were still uh, in the 40s and 50s in the college game. So I don't know how much that's going to help scoring. Don't forget the No Shot Clock podcast with Michael and Joe. They'll break it down. It comes out every Tuesday. As always, Michael, I'm glad you spent some time. Let's talk again as we get uh, closer to the end here. Okay, I cannot wait to see what happens at the end uh, with the uh, the tournament. Anytime, Jonathan. Great to be on, and it's going to be a fun wrap-up to the season. Right now, the way the NBA is, no one is beating the Phoenix Suns. In the regular season? No. No. Because they don't have a weakness, and they have like 10 different ways to beat you. They can beat you with the pick and roll. They can beat you with Devin Booker. They can beat you with Cam Johnson and Mikael Bridges shooting threes. They can beat you defensively on the perimeter. They can beat you defensively at the rim. They just don't like I I've been watching the NBA for a long time and I can always pick out some type of weakness on a team. I like I, I don't think they have a single and I don't even think they're average at anything. Across the board, they're good to great at every single thing in, in that you want to be good at in the league right now. They have everything you would want in a championship caliber team. Brian Scalabrini and Frank Isola on the starting lineup on Sirius XM NBA Radio talking about the Phoenix Suns. That'll be the next opponent for the Chicago Bulls on Monday, February 7th. Oh, boy, that's going to be tough. Suns are the best team in the NBA right now. And, of course, it's the regular season. Of course, they're pretty solid, right? But um, just watching the way that they operate, you know, with Booker and how they're working with Chris Paul, the point god, and just the the team was good last year. And it's all about health for this Suns team, for them to be able to go places uh, in the finals and actually being able to win it. I just know that the hierarchy of the NBA resides in the West because you look at Golden State and you look at the Phoenix Suns, those two teams, they could be going up against one another again in the playoffs to decide who's going to get to the um, to the finals. And so uh, the Bulls, 
for that this team, they just have to continue to just hold water. They just got to continue to just try to maintain until they get Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso back. Now, I will say the Bulls are not like a Caruso ball away from getting to the finals. I will say that. They just need to be able to play more cohesively defensively for them to be able to do anything this year as far as um, uh, a deep playoff run, if that's available for the Bulls. Um, By the way, the 76ers, going back to them, the Philadelphia 76ers, even without Ben Simmons, and who knows, right? This whole There was conjecture about Ben Simmons being traded to the Nets for James Harden. James Harden says, no, you're not going to trade me. We'll get to that in a second. But um, some thoughts now regarding Joel Embiid. I'm just, I've watched him a number of times this year, but I watched him exclusively against Chicago on Sunday. And boy, I mean, Tim Legler is right when he talks about how it is incredible to watch what Embiid is doing, a healthy Embiid is doing every single night. What this guy's doing every night is incredible to watch. The combination of raw power and skill and finesse in one body. I mean, we got the short list of people. You've already mentioned some names. He's in that category. And they're winning games with a roster that really is not that good. And they're winning games. He is going about his business. He's playing with stamina and toughness. And he's not drifting out in the perimeter anymore when he gets tired. He's pounding people in the paint. At critical times in the game, this team is becoming loved, I mean, beloved by their fan base with what they're giving them based on the fact that, like I said, whether, you know, with all Ben Simmons' shortcomings, that guy is an all-star caliber talent, okay? you He's sitting at home. You didn't replace him. And you're taking this team, this team. I mean, your backup point guard for most of the year was Furkan Korkmaz. Who's a mm-hmm. spot-up shooter, okay? Mm-hmm. Seth Curry is out there. who's a very good player playing above his head. And Tobias Harris, by the way, has struggled at times. Yes, he, he has. has. your second-best player, and you're still winning. You're playing at an MVP level. You're never even mentioning Ben Simmons' name. It's full steam ahead. I don't care about that guy. This is my responsibility. I'm just telling you, man, this dude's reverence right now in this city is up there with anything I've seen, and I've been in the Philadelphia area since 1984 when I came to college. Right, so you're talking 38 years I have been in this area following these teams. I, you, I mean, I'm putting it up there with anybody you can name. I mean, right now he's up there with AI at his peak. Ooh. Doc, in terms of the way, I'm not saying in, in terms of his accomplishments. Yet. Yeah, yeah, no, I get it, no, I get it. I'm just talking about in terms of the way he is perceived and beloved by a fan base has been dominant in the post. Uh, trying to bang away with that bead, and he puts it down in a foul. You can draw an offensive foul on a legal screen, but you've got to get over those screens. Oh, DeRozan with oh, right and he's going to get that roll. They are going to lay it on you. DeRozan spins away to the base holding. Here Kobe right there in the tournament. DeRozan picked up by Green. Patiently using the glass and three to hard way. Got his finest. Savage wheel. That turnover down there on the end. Now MP on the pick and roll. Good hook by DeMar, but MP muscles it home in a foul. He has been the chunk of the Bulls offense with his 15th 30 point game. And beat against Kuchovic. Oh, he drew the contact. It's still a turnover. It's DeRozan time again. 
Really, really great game between DeMar DeRozan, who I was sitting inches from, as I you heard me in my conversation with Michael O'Brien from the Sun-Times. I'm sitting, he's sitting to my left as I broadcast the game with uh, David Kaplan from the Wintrust Arena. It was cool to see him sign out autographs and doing selfies while he's sitting there enjoying the game. Um, so DeRozan had a great game, and so did Embiid, except the Bulls are shorthanded, and they fell short, especially on the defensive end, against the Sixers. Okay. Lastly, and oh, by the way, I mentioned I was going to tease this whole thing with the Nets. So there's a story out there that James Harden told Steve Nash, and Nash was very definitive and said there's no way that James Harden's going to be traded by the deadline. That Harden wants to be, even though Harden has shown some frustration uh, regarding Kyrie Irving not being available full time. That's not what Harden forces way out of Houston for, right? He forces way out of Houston so he can be with Kevin Durant. And with Kyrie Irving and increases chances to win a championship. These veteran players, man, they're just running all over the country trying to find themselves a championship. And like Harden didn't want to stay in Houston. Harden didn't want to stay in Oklahoma City. And so here he is now trying to get out. But it, I could see Harden being with Philadelphia next year. So mark the mark this sound that I said this on February 7th as I record this on Monday morning um, that I think that he will be with a different team next year because if Irving's in and out of the lineup or just ghosting the team and all that, um, then I don't think Harden wants to be part of any of this. So that's how I, I see it. And then Durant being heard and like Harden is not 100%. It's just not what James want, wanted. And it's like you can go all over the country trying to win a championship. Doesn't mean you're going to win one. You know, there's a lot of examples of that in the league. But lastly, drama. Ah, it would not be the NBA without drama. Stephen A. Smith and Kevin Durant going back and forth on Twitter. Where Durant claps back at Stephen A. for things that Stephen A. said about Durant. I mean, Durant's not even playing with the Nets right now. What is going on? Crazy. Kevin Durant knows good and damn well. I have no personal agenda here. Molly, I challenge anybody to tell, to find who's the person that calls this dude the best player in the world. All the time. That would be me, KP. Kevin Durant, the best player in the world, when healthy. I've always said that. I feel that way now. Um, And he was en route to win an MVP until he got hurt. And now Joel Embiid has taken the lead by storm. Here's what I think Kevin Durant is missing. And I don't want to hear stuff about him being sensitive or whatever. That bothers me because Kevin Durant has a right to express himself when people are talking about him. I'd rather you do that than not do that. A lot of guys will go behind your back and say stuff, but never say anything to you face to face. I can't tell you how many issues I've had with some professional athletes and in particular NBA players all because they didn't approach me. If you talked to me and you had a conversation and you let me know how you feel, I'd let you know how I feel and then we could shake hands as men and be gone. A matter of fact, there have been many occasions, KP, when I've actually talked to athletes and I was like, damn, they got a good point. And what do I do? I come on TV and I correct myself because if I'm going to say something publicly about you, if I'm wrong in any way, then I'm going to go back on TV in public and correct myself. I'm not going to correct myself in private when I knocked you publicly. If I knocked you publicly and I was wrong, I'm going to say I was wrong publicly. In this case with Kevin Durant, I don't believe I'm wrong. 
because I'm not talking about him, the player. He is a superstar. He is a first ballot Hall of Famer. He is one of the greatest players we have ever seen. What I'm saying is because of the dysfunction that has reeked through the Brooklyn Nets franchise, KP, this season, if they falter in the postseason, but Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors ascend, folks are going to look at KD and say, you left Steph for that? That's what they're going to but do. You're essentially saying he's a victim of circumstances. Yes, because, that, that's exactly. Because he didn't have Kyrie, because of the injuries, well, well, because well, how this situation he's turned out. Somewhat of it a victim. It has nothing to do with his play. Somewhat, it's nothing to do with his play, but something to do with his leadership in people's eyes because they view Brooklyn as his team. So when stuff happens, right. they're going to say, where are you correcting all of this because it's your team? Ah, drama on first take with Stephen A. and Molly and Kendrick Perkins. <laughs> it's crazy, man. All right. With that, thanks so much for listening to the Under the Hood Basketball Podcast brought to you by DraftKings. Don't forget to catch me with David Kaplan every morning from 7 to 10 a.m. Central on ESPN 1000 and also on the ESPN Chicago app. So much fun to do high school basketball. Um, do it once a year with the Chipotle Clash of Champions. Really cool to be able to do that. And, of course, with the UIC Flames, which you heard in the open as well. All right. Let's see what the Bulls do this week. We'll have some other guests on and have more basketball conversation, including what's going to happen in the NBA trade deadline. What will the Bulls do? I still say they are good as is. If there's a trade to be made to try to make the team better, you go right ahead. But I think as is, there's enough scoring. What can you find defensively that could be able to slow down some teams that the Bulls will be facing for the second half of the season and in the playoffs? That's my big question. Thanks for listening to the Under the Hood Basketball Podcast brought to you by DraftKings.